It's episode 85 of Dive in the Podcast with special guest Lily Risebull. Dive in the Podcast is a weekly all-about diving podcast for everyone. Whether you explore the oceans as a snorkeler, scuba diver, free diver, or tech diver, Dive In has something for you. The show is filled with diving news, feature interviews with guests from around the world, interesting dive topics, and ocean advocacy. Visit DiveInPod.com to find out more about our show, past guests, and our Patreon. Hi, everyone. I'm Nick. I'm April, and tonight I'll be telling you how I plan to stay warm all winter in my pro tip. Hi, I'm Justin, and we'll chat about the Sea of Cortez on my next bucket list stop. I'm Amit, and we're the hosts of Dive in the Podcast. Before we start today's episode, I'd like to thank the listeners. Thank you for tuning in every week. Your support encourages us to keep going and make a bigger and better podcast. What did everybody think about last week's episode with Ron Waxman? It was uh, He was a ball of fun he was a uh, he had uh, lots of great stories and was pretty uh, pretty funny guy yeah i mean it was uh you know kind of guy that has a career and then sort of accidentally stumbles on diving and then goes full on into it and you know 20 mm-hmm. something years later owns his own dive shop um you know is it uh, you know a breather instructor and does all the travel stuff um yeah no he's super passionate about diving a lot of energy and uh it was it was kind of cool to kind of um, you know, have him share the stories on the podcast that, that I heard when I went to do a course with him earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's no question. Certainly, uh, he's gone, what, what's the terminology for it, all in when, you know, with his dive shop too, when you look at uh, some of the pictures of the shop and uh, things that he's kind of pushed for. And uh, really interesting, that uh, piece where he had the heart attack and and basically has recovered from that almost unscathed and able to kind of return mm-hmm. back, which I would think would normally just be kind of the end of your diving career, right? For most people. So mm-hmm. must've been someone looking out for him a little bit there. So overall, really good episode. Enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. And and when I talk about energy, like I had trouble keeping up with him. <laughs> 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 yeah. Just for context there. I like the uh, drone video of his dive shop. Uh, yeah. Where you can do like the full tour. That was that was pretty cool. Makes me feel like we need a uh, a sweet, sweet swimming pool in Torpedo Race. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was kind of picturing that in my head, like Torpedo Race with a pool connected out back, uh, you know, just, you don't know, any parking spots, just make no, a pool. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you literally we'll put have a it in the basement the wherever, yeah. Need I say more? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some days the basement could be a pool. <laughs> When people stop, when people forget to uh, turn off that rinse bin tap, we basically have a pool down there. <laughs> it is one step closer to a dive shop with a pool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we should get on with the show and get over to our guest tonight. We're speaking to Lily Risable. Lily is a competitive Canadian national record holding freediver. Lily has used freediving to overcome personal grief and fear of the water. Having fallen in love with the sport, she enjoys exploring caves, shipwrecks, and diving under the ice on a single breath, as well as creating content for social media. Welcome to the podcast, Lily. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. We've been meaning to put you on the show for a long time, so we're glad uh, glad we finally worked that out and got you on. But uh, how are you doing today? Doing fantastic, and it's beautiful on Georgian Bay. Ah, uh, wonderful. 
Well, we'll uh, we'll get more into your interview here shortly. But before that, Lily, uh, have you ever gone diving, free diving or scuba diving, I guess, in uh, in Turkey? Oh, man, I would love to do that. That would be so incredible. But alas, <laughs> not yet. Oh, <laughs> uh, Uh, I haven't been. (laughs) There's even more reason to do so now. Uh, Divers can now dive World War I wrecks off the coast of Turkey in the Dardanelles Strait and what's now called a museum under the sea. There's 14 ships that are accessible, like the 421-foot HMS Majestic. Uh, Some of the wrecks are in relatively shallow waters, less than 25 feet. Others are deeper, around 60 or 100. And then the HMS Triumph tops it off at 230 feet below the surface. Uh, the Smithsonian has a great article about the, uh, about kind of the history and what's going on there and what was, uh, what was going on in World War I in that strait. And uh, there's a lot more information that you should look up. The notes are, uh, the link is in our show notes. So go check that out. I want to know who's up for a dive trip. Sold. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an easy sell. I'm nodding, but you can't see it on on, yeah. on the podcast. <laughs> great, so. great for audio, Nick. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a cool place to go. Uh, go check out. Yeah, I'd love to know what the condition of these wrecks are, really. But uh, you know, I guess that's kind of the thing. I'll have to go see myself at some point when the dive in the podcast world tour kicks off. <laughs> yeah, the there's some pictures. You know, it looks looks nice and clear, nice and warm. So uh, you know, it's uh, nice to have wrecks uh, in clear, warm yeah. water. Yeah, it's a big change from diving wrecks in Tobamori in the cold, cold water. (laughs) Yes, well, at least you have the clarity. At least you have the clarity there. (laughs) And uh, Nick, you had some news as well. Yeah, I just uh, wanted to mention that uh, blog post that uh, world uh, record holder um, William Trubridge posted recently on his personal website. And it was sort of a call to the freediving community to sort of, you know... um, kind of deal with the potential issue that doping may be become a concern at the competitive level um, of the sport. Uh, obviously, he didn't allude to anything specific, but he's sort of, you know, mm. mentioning that it might be creeping into freediving and, you know, trying to, I guess, a call to the community that, you know, the greatest prize that you'll get from freediving is, you know, the fulfillment from having a genuine accomplishment and and that Williams, some of his most amazing dives actually had, had nothing to do with competition. Um and really that like, you know, once once doping becomes an issue in a sport, it's, you know, damages a sport, but it's also fairly difficult to get rid of. Um, so we'll, mm-hmm. we can link that in the show notes. It's a, just a very short sort of like opinion piece, but obviously doping um, is, is, a, is a concern for some people at the highest level of the sport. And um, for those who don't mm-hmm. know, like when you do compete internationally or, or set world records, um, you are, you are subject to, to doping tests. Um, uh, internationally recognized doping test. So it's not like, um, you know, the, the sport is monitored, but it's obviously a concern that, that now that we're, you know, pushing records like never before mm-hmm. uh, into, into some areas that, you know, some people are maybe even suggesting there isn't a lot more room um, that doping could be a concern. Mm. And I suppose it is a concern no matter what you do when, like you say, like we kind of reach that outer boundary of what people think. Well, I guess we've reached it in some cases surpassed when I look at some of these videos of uh, of the comps that are going on. Like, but you know, it does seem what would be the world almost like uh, almost like superhero type achievements that folks are making. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it stands to reason that if you've seen it in most of the other elite level sports, that there's no reason that it's not going to come into free diving as well. So, 
kind of a good cautionary tale mm. on on his part. And yeah, good point of putting in like the personal, I guess, fulfillment part. And, you know, is it the, I don't know if that's the right way to think of it, but I guess when I'm thinking about it is, is it the fulfillment that you're looking for or just the recognition of the record and the trophy? And so I guess that comes back to like, why are you free diving in the first place? Maybe. Uh, and I say this is completely a guy who is not a free diver, knows nothing about free diving. So, but you know, <laughs> it's okay. It's it's diving the podcast. You can opine on things you don't. That's know right. About. <laughs> and so that, yeah, that was my yeah, that was my version of it right there. <laughs> but but it's true. Uh, whether it be like safety, um, that's a key key thing in free diving. Um, mm-hmm. And on top of that, like you were saying, Emmett, like why are you actually free diving and that's something that was really true to my heart when I just got into freediving um, now, like five years ago, because it was for like personal issue, personal grief issues that I wanted to overcome and just the entire fear of water in general. So it should be a personal accomplishment as opposed to just trying to get the next number. Mm-hmm. And I learned mm-hmm. that through, through competitive freediving too. Yeah, very cool. Uh, that's a great lead in, uh, Lily. Thank, uh, <laughs> thanks for transitioning from the news to do an interview about you. So uh, that's it for the news today. It's time to dive in with Lily Risable. So Lily, tell us a little bit about where you're from. Uh, yes. Yeah, so um, I was born in Hamilton, Ontario in Canada. And mm-hmm. when I grew up, I actually was uh, afraid of the water all my life. Um, I had a drowning incident and my Uncle had to resuscitate me when I was uh, three years old on a family trip to Indonesia. So we were visiting family there and uh, we were in the pool just playing. And now like looking back at it and being a mom as well, like that would have been terrifying for my parents to see their daughter not breathing and having like my uncle to like, you know, bring me back. So thankfully, thank God that I am here. And, um, And, but yeah, but that really crippled me. So I was super, super afraid of pool parties, um, like going to the lake and other things, boat rides. It was just always like, oh, that's Mm. okay. I won't go. And, and, um, and yeah, that was pretty much most of my years growing up. Yeah. Being from Ontario, I don't know if your first memory of the water was there. Usually we ask our guests, but maybe, and usually they have like a very, um, like very like romantic version of their first memory of the water, but maybe for you it was that drowning experience and that was a little bit more scary. So what was your first memory of the water? Uh, great question. Um, I remember like uh, right by Hamilton Beach and stuff and uh, mm-hmm. just seeing like the rocks and the beach and the area. And it was just like, it felt like I was like, whoa, this is such a huge body of water and I, I feel like I'm so little and I would just really cling to my mom a lot for <laughs> it. So that was like most of the memories. And then like growing up and you'd like go with like family trips to, you know, a uh, thousand island or something like that. And then you're just like, okay, I'm just going to like make sure I wear my life jacket and not look over too far over the you know, the boat to see the water or even going to Niagara Falls. Like, yeah, as a kid, is you're, there's always that little fear in, in behind and you're just like, I'm just going to be extra cautious. So I guess as I look at that with the early memories of that Thousand Island and then the near drowning experience, 
would it be a thing that you would say that uh, that your love of water was not something that was, uh, I guess, quickly come by? Or, you know, did you have to work towards that to overcome it? Yeah. So with that, Emmett, it was actually after my mother passed away when I was 25. That's when that was the turning point. I was like, if God can help me overcome my biggest fear of losing her, because I, I lost my father to cancer when I was five and my mother to cancer also. Um, and I actually also overcame cancer when I was seven. Wow. So there was like a history of that in our family. Um, mm. With that, I was just like, you know what? If, my, if I can overcome this fear of losing my mother, who was like my best friend, what's my next biggest fear? Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's the water. So I went to um, figure out how to get swimming lessons and I really wanted to scuba dive. And um, that's when I also signed up for a course uh, for free diving at our local dive shop, Dive World Canada. And mm-hmm. that's where I met Andrew, who was my freediving instructor. And I was just right. so gung-ho. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to learn how to do this. I'm going to try to overcome my fear. And and then now here we are. Um, <laughs> I fell in love with the sport. And then I also fell in love with my instructor. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say you got, you got uh, certified as a scuba diver in there in between that? Uh, on that trek to overcoming your fear? Yeah, Jessa. So with that in the journey of like kind of falling in love with the water, but also overcoming that fear of the water, uh, mm-hmm. even now, like when I look at the, at the water and I go for a dive, there's always still that take one last deep breath before the dive. But um, I was doing advanced open water with uh, my scuba family at Dive World Canada. And then mm-hmm. from there, they were offering intro to free diving. How do yeah. you extend your breath hold on just a single breath? Go dive down like, wow, I need to learn how to do this because learning how to scuba dive and breathing underwater, it was just incredible. It was like so surreal. I'm like, this is mm. amazing. Like, why was I afraid of this this whole time? <laughs> um, do you ever scuba dive these days or are you free diving exclusively? Uh, yeah, um, I exclusively, um, it's easier to free dive because of being a mom and trying to like gear up, mm-hmm. gear down and, and everything like that. And, um, but I have like right before having Sarah, uh, I did go scuba diving with my diving community, with my scuba community. And it's super mm-hmm. fun. Like both like Andrew and I were also like thinking in the future, we'd love to like continue on with our certifications with scuba diving now that we have a property here in Georgian Bay. So, but yeah, free diving is, is still, still close to heart. And whenever we can, uh, we go diving. Yeah. I, I was wondering, um, Lily, cause we, we've talked to other people uh, about this and, and free diving seems to have a common thread here. What is it specifically about free diving that sort of helped you, you know, overcome loss and, and fear? Yeah. So with that, Nick, um, losing like my mother was a really big deal in my life because growing up with like a single parent and stuff and learning how to, to calm myself, the breathing techniques, but also it's just being in the water and floating. And, and when you're out in like the vast openness of nature and you're like, wow, I'm such a small person 
part of this huge creation. And it makes you realize like, you know what? My problems and my grief are like minute compared to the grand scheme of things. And if the entire world is working so intricately and like clockwork, I need to learn how to like overcome that as well, because you know what, it's not like, um, a lot of people give up, especially like with what's happening around the world that we hear in news and stuff, but there's a lot of hope and freediving gave me a lot of hope and, and peace underwater, like the quietness and the serenity. Mm. It's, it's unparalleled when you're on, on land. Mm. And um, I, I was also wondering um, if it's not too personal, but do you, do you see parallels between between like freediving and your own personal beliefs? Yeah, like uh, freediving has really helped when it comes to everyday everyday life, and especially now being a mom, or even like going through and and giving birth to my my baby. <laughs> all, all of those uh, freediving um, breathing techniques really help that too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but even in general, I was like, you know what? If I can learn to hold my breath and stay focused and be present and in the moment underwater and let go of like your past hurts, your current, you know, stress and your future worries, because like you you can't hold that with you when you're diving, you have to really be present and, and know your body. Like, you know what, if, if I can learn how to do this discipline, I can apply this in many facets of my life. So when mm. there's a screaming baby and you're just like, okay, <laughs> I'm just going to take a deep breath and we're going to focus <laughs> and, and get the task done at hand. Through, through diving, I guess you've, you've come to discover Tobamori and that's a, a place that's special to you. What is it that draws you to Tobamori for free diving? Um, I'm glad you brought that up because it's like, it's a place where I, I got certified, but also it's just the beautiful geology and the Great Lakes. It's it's ever changing, especially in the winter. Mm. And Andrew and I, we love going. That's actually our favorite type of diving, ice diving, because every time you go, it's different. The formations, the, the beautiful, you know, patterns that you see. And it's, it's so peaceful and quiet. And when you look up, you're just like, mm. it's mesmerizing to see these patterns of ice. Yeah. And, and given that you didn't, take to water right away, so to speak. Um, what was venturing under the ice um, as a freediver for the first time? Was that particularly challenging? Yeah, that was part of my bucket list and I really wanted to. I, To be quite honest, like um, I got into the course and I was like, okay, um, I know Andrew likes to do ice diving. Maybe I can ask if I could take a course and like learn how to do, um, you know, freediving under the ice. He didn't have like he didn't run a course that way, but because mm. we became friends, um, after like being certified and stuff. And, um, he's like, okay, well, I'll bring you, we'll see you how it goes. You might be really cold. And, and in my <laughs> brain, I was just like, as long as I can do it once, I'm super happy. And maybe I'll just like stick to warm water diving. But then, mm. um, after that first dive trip up to Tobamori, and um and seeing the shipwrecks under the ice i was just like oh my goodness the the winds were like howling it was so cold but i was just 
smiling from ear to ear and Andrew's just like, oh, mm. so you're not freezing your butt off. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're still going through it. And, and I didn't realize that it was um, the beginning of a really like of an affinity for the ice. Sounds amazing. I love scuba diving under the ice. So I can only imagine like what the freedom of free diving under the ice does. Um, but what feelings does free diving under the ice evoke for you? Uh, I'm glad you asked that, April, because um, the past year, freediving under the ice in a bikini was one of <laughs> the things that I wanted to do because it was actually having Sarah and it it's so refreshing. So mm. Sarah was three months old and she needed me constantly because I was breastfeeding. So she would probably run every two, every two hours I would have to feed her. And then she's still very young. So I didn't want to miss out on the ice diving season, which is a, a short window in, um, in Tobamori. And that's when I was like, you know what? I need to do this. I need to figure out because if I was to do, um, like with the wetsuit and everything and all the gear and weights, it would cut into my dive time. And by that time, like Sarah would already need another feeding. So I was like, okay. And Andrew was so supportive. Like, he's just like, if you want to do it, we're, I'll help you. Like, we'll make sure it happens, you know? So we got like, whether it was like babysitters or um, like our, our friend, Jeff Coombs, who like would be my dive buddy. So Andrew would take care of Sarah so I could go diving. And it's, when you're a new mom and you're like, what am I supposed to do with my baby? And you're just trying to figure things out. Going under the ice mm -hmm. in a bikini just makes you feel <laughs> so alive and refreshed. <laughs> and you actually have a lot of energy afterwards. Like when I, yeah. and I did it like, um, probably thir yeah, 13 times last winter, every time we would go out and it'll be like, and they're short dives, but they're mm -hmm. just so refreshing. It's like, it's good for like my aches and pains as like holding a baby and carrying the baby. And so physically it was, you know, super helpful. Mentally it was like amazing. And, and just like, yeah, I just had so much energy after ice diving. <laughs> I'm just like amazed. Sorry. <laughs> I highly recommend or cold showers yeah. are great too. <laughs> Maybe I'll try on the ice diving course this year. I'll I'll try and do a little swim after the course or something. Yeah, I'm always up for trying that winter diving in the Caribbean, you know. Like that's uh I think it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll jump in the water anytime in their winter. You mean you ice diving in the, in the cooler of beer? <laughs> free free diving's been growing as a sport so like globally and in, especially in Canada too in the last last few years how how has that growth how have you seen that growth in Ontario like um yourself yeah um so with that Nick it's crazy after especially with covid hitting mm -hmm. like everybody just wants to go out and be in nature and learn something new we actually have we had like so many people on a wait list to try to go through with uh, like intro to freediving, A to two courses and A to three, like we couldn't even get enough pool time to be able to run the, wow. the course. Like it's a backlog and students are just like every day there's an email popping up. Oh, I want to sign up. Oh, I want to learn how to freedive. And we're just like, we're trying to fit as many people into <laughs> a course as possible. And, you know, um, and plus with like open water seasons, pretty much like you know, done because of all the waves and stuff. 
um, mm. in Ontario. So it's hard to be like, okay, well, you have to wait. Till, we had students waiting for two years to get into a course and like do pool and open water and everything. So it is a growing sport and especially social media too. It's, um, and that's why education is very important because you don't want mm. people to like watch a YouTube video and try it out, hold their breath yeah. and think that a lifeguard is their buddy. And that's something that Andrew and I, we stress so much in our courses is like always dive with a certified buddy and a lifeguard is not a buddy because mm-hmm. they don't know what you're doing at the bottom of a pool. Yeah. We've, we've had that issue here as well. Yeah. That's a constant yeah. struggle to, to tell people that come in the shop is like, yeah, I just actually, I'm just looking for more weight to go down. And it's like, Oh, what are you doing? And then the conversation obviously goes, Oh, you're free diving. And then it's like, no, but I don't need the course. And it's like, no, but you do. <laughs> yeah. I'm only diving in 10 meters of water. I'm only diving in 20 meters of water. You know, it's <laughs> that yeah. old refrain. <laughs> um, which I'm sure you're, you're familiar with Lily as an instructor. Uh, what got you on the instructor route? Uh, yeah. Um, so I got on that route because I wanted the challenge, but also, so remember if we rewind, I fell in love with the sport and then I fell in love with my <laughs> yes. instructor and I actually, right. I asked him out and he said no <laughs> the first time around. <laughs> so I was like, oh man, like maybe I'll just like, I don't have to see him ever again, but then we still decided to like dive and we became friends as opposed to like, Oh, you know, like lovers. Mm. And it was after yeah. a trip to the Bahamas. Um, we were spearfishing with our friend, Jeff Coombs. And that's when, um, after that trip, we decided like, you know what? We want to actually get married. So <laughs> right, <laughs> if we're right. going to date, we're going to date to get married. And seeing how he, was running his courses and how it touched a lot of people's lives too, because it's mm-hmm. kind of funny how um, the sport attracts people who are hurting or people who are trying to overcome something, or there's, there's like an underlying current, uh, there's something that's um, the community is going through. And we, I've noticed that like you've wanted you know, or you want to challenge yourself further from scuba diving, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I was like, you know, he's touching a lot of people's lives through teaching them how to breathe, how to overcome a fear or how to unlock, like they feel like it's a, a superpower, you know, like you were saying earlier, you guys were, um, <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I love teaching. And I was, because, um, I do that as, a, um, my main, my main career as a software trainer, mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what, I, what a wonderful way to put two things, my hobby and, you know, the love of teaching together. And again, super supportive husband. (laughs) It's like, okay, let's go for it. So, um, we got certified in Mexico and that was, that was really fun because it was half our honeymoon, half getting certified as a, (laughs) as, and I was like, this is great. I can now like help you with courses and spend more time mm-hmm. in the water. That sounds like a wonderful honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> and how has teaching changed the sport for you? Teaching has changed the sport in a way that it's not just only focusing on my next competition kind of thing, but it's also seeing how I could help others be able to walk, the, a, not the same journey that I did, but walk a different journey, but 
find the fulfillment that I have. And it's just neat to be able to kind of pass that on. Um, it's also actually helped me to become a better diver because now you're focusing on like, okay, well, this is how I do this as a technique. This is mm-hmm. what, you know, Ada, you know, mandates for us to to do. And then if there's a challenge with the student from equalization or from technique or from just fear, for instance, it's a, it's a really fun puzzle to try to, you know, figure out and brainstorm. And when you see this like light bulb moment, when their eyes light up and they're like, Oh, I, I can, you know, get past my static or I can now get to like 75 meters in the pool or I can mm-hmm. finally frenzle. Like, it's just wonderful <laughs> to see that. And it's, it's, um, it's a next level to the fulfillment of, be, of just, than just being a diver and, and just going for dives. That's awesome. That does sound really fulfilling. And, uh, I think we'll talk this moment to take a quick break and think about that. And we'll be back with more from Lily Risable. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. Reviews are one of the best ways to help others find the podcast. This episode of Dive In The Podcast is brought to you by Torpedo Rays Scuba. You can find them online at torpedorays.com. They've been teaching Canada how to dive for 25 years and are a proud sponsor of this podcast. If you're in Atlantic Canada and want to take a course or see the shop, stop in and see us in Dartmouth and check out the huge selection of scuba, apnea, surf gear, and much more. Dive tours are available for locals and visitors to experience all that our ocean playground has to offer. TorpedoRays.com has a vast selection of dive gear at unbeatable prices with free shipping available in Canada and quick shipping throughout North America. So visit TorpedoRays.com or stop in the shop and you might even see one of us there. Welcome back to Dive in the Podcast. We're speaking with Lily Risebowl, a Canadian freediver and national record holder based in Ontario, Canada. So Lily, what is your um, teaching philosophy when it comes to being an instructor? Like what do you try to impart um, onto your students? Uh, Yes. So what I love to impart to my students is that you're trying to find a better version of yourself when you're freediving. And uh, the last course that I delivered, um, one of the students was just like, you know what, I go diving outside, like they go diving out in um, Collingwood and so forth and had trouble with like just keeping warm and and they're just like, they're also very active, but at the same time, it's just like, okay, well, how do you be a better version of yourself? You know, how do you try to use a sport to like help you in not only just staying focused, healthy and fit, but also affecting your lifestyle too. And that's some of the things that I like that I try to impart in my, in my courses. And how do we ensure more women take up free diving and work their way up to a pro level like instructor? Yeah. Um, so I have some really great friends who are women freedivers and it's, it's just like, um, at advocating like for women's Patty dive day or like whenever there's any way to kind of encourage women to go into freediving. my, my little niece and she's, well, she's not very little anymore. She's like 14, but this past summer, just even, you know, teaching her how to go down uh, to like 
I think it was like seven meters and just seeing her face and she's just like so, so stoked about it. And, and that's the next generation, right? Or even with baby Sarah, um, putting her like into submerging her into the pool this past summer (laughs) and she comes up Mm. and she's like giggling and happy and, and and she actually likes bath time. Like she loves bath time. It's hard to get her out of bath Mm. time. (laughs) And, um, but that's also trying to impart and even prepare the next generation to love the sport. Um, and as women to be able to, to enjoy that and share it with their families too. So speaking as a parent, uh, myself of a couple small kids, uh, how's it feel to be able to be a mom with a, with a small child and stay true to the passion of free diving? It's a, it's a very challenging thing as like, <laughs> no, no joke about it. Like, um, free diving has looked a lot different as a parent now, as it was before, mm-hmm. before it's like, Oh, yeah. Andrew's like, do you want to go diving? It's a good day let's go. Okay, sure. If we're not working, let's go. And now we're like, okay, hold on. Who's going to take care of Sarah? We need to find childcare. Like at the beginning when she was like super little and we went, she was like Mm -hmm. three months and she went on to the, uh, on the ice with us when we found the Niagara too. So I would have to figure it out. I'm like, okay, I have to feed her first, change her diaper. Then I have to go out and trek out in the ice, make sure she's bundled and not freezing her butt off kind of thing. And then make sure that I'm okay, not not slipping on the ice. And so there's like a lot of things to think about, but it is way Mm. more, more fulfilling. Like, especially when you Mm. look back and you're like, Oh, Sarah, you were on the, you were on top of the ice when we found the Niagara too and mommy and daddy dive and you actually saw us when, you know, one of our friends, Mackenzie was like, you know, taking care of her and holding on to her while mm-hmm. we went diving. So it's all these different things that you have to take into place, uh, way more challenging. But again, at the end, it's like memories that, she, that we, and stories that we get to tell her and it's mm-hmm. encouraging her mm-hmm. to be fearless and enjoy the great outdoors as well. It seems like a great support system uh, you have as well. Definitely. And that, so that support system kind of extends a bit, right? Because it goes from, you know, those kinds of things to you and Andrew having built a pretty successful free diving school together. Uh, are you able to tell us a little bit about that's that school and uh, how you guys have, have been able to accomplish that? Uh, yeah. So um, thank you. Well, thankfully uh, through, our dive community with dive world, but also through, you know, just the, uh, the amazing thing about social media, um, people have mm-hmm. reached out and, you know, they've watched our stories on YouTube. They've, um, watched our training on YouTube. They've watched our Instagram reels, our TikTok videos. And it's been really neat to be able to reach people who, and a different, you know, audience completely that would have yeah. never thought of diving. Um, with TikTok, it's another generation. Uh, with Instagram followers, it's like, you know, people who are like, oh, I would really like to try that and maybe I should. And just like, you know, start inquiring. So instead of being just in a small community of people who are like, okay, I know about scuba diving. I understand about like the underwater world. Now you're like reaching a, a larger audience and mm-hmm. different skill sets and backgrounds. So the power of social media. Mm-hmm. 
that's something else. Mm-hmm. So do you think like there's a reason why I guess that social media influence is attracting the sp- specific freediver crowd? And do you think it's something that can translate to to other things like scuba, or is that, or do you think that's really just a generational piece, like you were saying there, where the medium is you know really useful for uh, reaching a specific group of young people, and potentially that specific group of young people may actually not be interested in the old school scuba and more so in freediving. Well, and also not only like it's like scuba is not old school either. <laughs> like it's like um, I think as somebody who is watching online and they realize like, oh, I didn't know that I, you know, you could drink Coke underwater under the ice. How do you even do that? (laughs) You know, upside down, like where does it all go? And like the actual science behind it. And that opens Mm. up a lot of questions, which then the more questions you ask suddenly now you're like, okay, well, what's the actual source of this? Oh, it's Mm. free diving. Oh, they actually have to know how to, hold their breath underwater. So the medium is sort of like a bait or like more like it's a gateway to, to let people know about this amazing sport, which they wouldn't have known if we didn't have that platform. Like when you think Mm -hmm. about it, it's like if you had it 20 years ago, we wouldn't be seeing all these beautiful pictures underwater in, you know, the Bahamas or like it would only be in national geographic. And you're like, I have to have all this equipment. I have to be certified under like, um, you know, tech diver or whatever to do these things. And and now with social media, it makes it look like, Oh, it's achievable. And Mm -hmm. it's easier Mm -hmm. to connect with people in different areas because it's, you can just like message somebody. Hey, I'm in Florida or <laughs> hey, I'm in uh Turkey. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to change gears a little bit here and talk about uh competitive freediving and I was just wondering what what you what did you decide? I'm oh, sorry, what made you decide to take up competitive freediving? A funny story because it was actually um Andrew was saying, "Okay, now you guys are certified as A to 2." So what does that mean? Like, you know, like what does, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, well you can do competitive freediving. You can dive with other A to two students. And yeah, you, you actually now know how to safety and, and all that stuff. I'm like, oh, competitive freediving. What's all that? Um, I, <laughs> I, I have a competitive nature in the sense of like, I like to improve myself and so forth. And then finding out that now I'm able to get into that community. I was like, yeah. Mm. go for it. Um, so I spent like before, before being a parent, uh, five days a week in the pool, any, oh wow! after work, like I would like go find buddies at like my local freedive Toronto. I would go to enjoy freediving on Thursdays, freedive Toronto on Mondays, find people from those and like, Hey, do you want to train in my pool? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yeah. So any, any time that I had, I would, be in the water because you know i i loved it i was a hot mess if you ask andrew i was a horrible student <laughs> because i didn't know anything and i'm not athletic so it was a lot of work but a lot of work and a lot of time in the water pays off and what is it about competing that appeals to you the most um competing at first was just like oh man i've never really been really good at a sport unless volleyball and i'm like I can compete now. And I was actually not 
bad. I was actually kind of okay. Mm. I was like, oh, okay. I can actually maybe get a chance in this. And then suddenly it was just like, okay, how do I improve? And being on a training program and being on a routine and a, a regime was just like, oh, this is, this actually not only is making me a better diver, but it's just seeing the progression and how it changes your lifestyle. You start to eat differently. You start to act differently, sleep differently. And then, and then it's just like, whoa, this is amazing. I feel better as a person, you know, mm. mental clarity, your body feels better. And you're like, you're making goals and you're setting goals for yourself and you're accomplishing them. It's a, it's, it's a great, it's a great feeling. And that's what humans need, right? You need have goals and mm-hmm. set goals and be able to work towards them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you completely, but that goal setting for a lot of us doesn't necessarily lead to huge achievements, but you've actually made it to becoming a national record holder for free, free diving in Canada. So tell us a bit about some of those records that have paid off from all this hard work. So uh, with all that hard work uh, comes with a lot of um, time and responsibility as well, because uh, being like a representative for Ontario for, for like freediving and education, you're just like, okay, these are, these are things that, um, are so dear to my heart. And then at the same time, we're just like, oh, wow. Okay. I need to figure out how I got there because it was actually a very messy way I got there. Um, I blacked out, uh, for my first competition in dynamic And that taught me a huge lesson, a huge lesson of understanding my body, understanding the signals. And it's not just pushing for a number because remember at that competitive nature, I was like, okay, I need to just keep going. I can't wimp out. I just got to keep going. (laughs) Um, but after that first blackout incident and, and that was at, um, uh, in Quebec, it really taught me how to be able to like, you know, figure things out properly in the water. And, and then on top of that, um, I also had a lung squeeze because that was like my first summer of, you know, diving at, you know, deeper depths. So my breath hold was great. I did well in the pool. And then my, um, my second time out in open water after my eight to two course, Mm -hmm. I went down to like 33 meters and that was like, wasn't, it wasn't like, um, my lungs couldn't handle it. So I had a lung squeeze for like two months and the journey to, to getting like the national record was, it wasn't just like, Oh, okay. Just keep working at it. And you're there. Yes. Keep working at it. But then you also overcome you know, some of the, the injuries and challenges like any, any athlete would. Right. And uh, at the same time, not, not let that stop you or discourage you. So Mm -hmm. I learned how to, Mm -hmm. yeah, dive, dive conservatively, understand like my signals in my body, because I felt like I was a dolphin and I could swim forever. And that's what happened in my blackout because I'm like, Oh, mm-hmm. I can do this forever. <laughs> and you're like, uh, <laughs> um, <Actually>, you can't. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. The, oh. after like training though, and, and being instead of just like rapidly, uh, you know, getting better in, in the techniques, making sure 
technique is proper, putting the amount of time for training. I finally got the record and it was a game plan that Andrew and I made. He was my coach. He was like, okay, Mm -hmm. this is a new pool. Uh, This is like brand new uh, with all the different, it was a cold pool, really humid, uh, but super cold. There was a current because there was like jets going in and then it's just like, okay, this is the game plan. We stick to it. And that's how we came out clean and accomplished um, the record. So mm, that's, that's very cool. So tell, tell me though a bit about like, you know, cause obviously for the non free divers of, uh, of podcast listening, like myself, talk me through the feelings that you have as you go through uh, a blackout. And, you know, cause I mean, to me, it seems like it would be a pretty traumatic experience. It's not just like a, Oh, I blacked out. Ha ha. Now let's just move on. Um, so talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, a blackout experience when you go through it, you actually, if it felt for me, it felt like the first round was okay. I enjoy the dive. Sec- the second way coming back from diving in the pool. So this was like going pool lengths and dynamic for, for people who don't mm-hmm. know. So the first 50 meters was like, oh, this is enjoyable. Second 50 meters was like, okay, this is kind of, you know, getting a little bit tiring. My legs are getting kind of tired. Mm-hmm. And then the third one t- was just like, oh, I-, I can't do this. But then after that, I can't do this. You're just like, okay, I can do this. And then suddenly after that, okay, I can do this. It feels like you can go on and dive forever and ever and ever. And then that's when Mm. suddenly everything just, you wake up and you're like, oh, I was smiling and I was doing my safety protocol (laughs) at the, like, with like my surface protocol with um, taking off my mask. But I'm like, why is my mask on the pool deck? And why is everyone staring at me? Did I do everything correctly? <laughs> and then they're like, Lily, are you okay? And, and after watching the video of, um, of the competition, I was like, wow, I was totally out. But thankfully it was in a very safe environment where there were two, mm-hmm. you know, rescue divers, O2, everyone was there. So if anything was to go wrong, um, that was like the ideal situation. Uh, mm-hmm. highly don't recommend that. Um, and that's mm-hmm. why training with like, you know, certified buddies in a safe environment is so, so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. it really does. Especially that, you know, that's the way that you describe that. Actually, I can see why for a person to have a support person that's also, uh, trained and, and able to respond to that appropriately would be important because it's not like you were, you know, you were in this weird panic state where you're like, oh my God, I've got to get to the surface and now I'm going to pass out. You literally are like, this is fantastic and, and I feel euphoric <laughs> and I'm going to carry on. Oh, and now you're passed out. So it does really <laughs> speak to the idea, I think, of of the necessary safety that's required for proper training and ensuring that you're diving with a buddy who's, who's able mm-hmm. to adequately like deal with the first aid components of that. So yeah, I appreciate you talking about that. I'm sure it's not like just an easy thing to, to chat about. Yeah. And after that, it was kind of scary to go back in the pool because I'm like, Oh no, will I, will I not feel the signals and stuff like that? And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so about maybe two weeks, it was kind of like, mm, I'm not really sure about this. But then after the two weeks, you're like, no, I really enjoy this, the dive. And you start, you start to get to know your body and how it handles stresses underwater. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Um, it, it's interesting because I I always feel like um, you know as responsible freedivers we we try to avoid blacking out because obviously it's a, it's 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 a huge risk. And then as instructors and and as people who want to like foster the community, we sort of go, okay, you know, you need to take a course, you need to dive responsibly with a buddy. And at the same time, for those who have had the experience, it's it's actually like a huge learning moment, right? So there's a lot you can learn from it. And, I, and I, I'm in no way advocating anybody go out and get blacked out. But I guess, you know, what did it teach you about safety? Yeah. Um, what it taught me about safety, Nick, is the, the key thing is, number one, not only to dive with your buddy and take a course, but you need to listen to your body. And that helps you to figure out like, it's not only about you, but it's also about your buddy too. Because if you're not listening mm. to your body, then you're putting your dive buddy at risk because they have to rescue you at depth. And so is it, is it uh, worth it to risk both your lives for, for a number, for instance, for, uh, for a distance mm. or for a depth or for a time? And then on top of that, um, as a safety, like you're responsible for your buddy too. And um, unfortunately there's some buddies that you don't really, you don't really know that you can depend on because they kind of bail on you and you're like, uh, I don't Mm. think I can dive with you anymore. And, and you Mm. see like whether, and going back to like earlier when you guys were talking about like doping and stuff like that, um, we've had like divers like, Oh, I kind of want to like do some other, you know, drugs and stuff. And like, no, I'm sorry. We can't dive with you because if you're under, if you're under the influence of something else, that means you, you are putting yourself at risk and putting ourselves at risk. So it's mm. like, no, thank you. So yeah, yeah. safety. It's, uh, our lives are so much more precious than just, you know, just the sport. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because there's a huge ego component you have to take out when you, when you consider that whole conversation, right? Especially when, when you're, uh, you're safetying somebody like, oh, well, I just want to go check this out. It's, it's no longer about you, right? It's about the person that you're safetying. But the same thing when you're diving, like you were saying, it's like, it's not just about you potentially blacking out. It's about, you know, the person that, that you're going to affect that has to take, then take a risk to rescue you. And so taking the ego out, yeah, I always find is, is a, something that that's always part of that equation. But, uh, I was going to ask you, do you, do you have your sights set on any future national records? Uh, so with that, once things are are lifted and restrictions and all this stuff, we'd like love to go back into like full time competing, especially now that Georgian Bay is just steps away, <laughs> um, and and that's why it would be wonderful to start seeing more competitions open up again, and especially in Canada as well. So mm-hmm. hoping and praying that things will go back to normal. And um, on top of that, ice diving season is around the corner. So we're super excited about that. Last year, diving the Niagara 2 was amazing under ice. And we hope that we can do that again. And especially with all the scouting that Andrew and I have been doing, we would love to like visit some cool spots uh, in Georgian Bay mm-hmm. under the ice this season. So we're super excited about that and hoping for some good ice this, this winter. <laughs> Earlier in the podcast, we were talking about just how busy um, 
your your shop is or your your training uh, program of people lined up all these new divers out there and you were new when you got into competitive free diving what would you say um what advice would you have for a new diver that is interested in entering competitive diving once things start to open back up? Um, I would encourage anyone who is trying to get into competitive free diving is number one, don't be discouraged because of all of the closures and not being able to find a dive buddy. Like it's very difficult. Mm. And I, I completely understand that at this moment. Um, mm. But don't give up hope because things will change. Um, the first thing is, it's not about trying to achieve a number. It's about trying mm. to be a better diver and how you can get, how, how it'll change your life. That that's really how it is. Like when, when you get into competitive free diving, it really is a life changer kind of sport because it's not just accomplishing, um, a time for static or a distance for dynamic or a, a depth for, you know, constant weight or free immersion. It's, mm-hmm. it's really about, how are you being a better diver, a safe diver? And that translates all your techniques that, that you're going to be accumulating and refining in that process will allow you to accomplish so many cool things like maybe diving under the ice in a bikini three months after <laughs> you just gave birth to your kid. <laughs> you know, So it pays off. It pays off. <laughs> yeah, it uh, sounds literally and figuratively cool. You're the Ada Canada rep for Ontario, if I'm not mistaken. How do you how do you see the national scene for uh, Canadian freediving versus how you see it locally in a provincial setting? Yeah, so uh, I'm glad you brought that up because locally it was it was going like Ontario had a a great standing before, and then it kind of just like dwindled off, and then suddenly it was there was like a new, I guess, a new injection of or a new blood of freedivers coming into the community. Mm. Like I've met some amazing freedivers from the Ontario, you know, community. And they're like, wow, you're the legends. And they're like, oh, you're like the new people. <laughs> you're the newbies. <laughs> and, um, and with really with like COVID, it's just really messed up a lot of that community. Like it's, it's quite disheartening because um, we were trying to get into lakes because of the pools and now with like all these passport things and so forth. And it's hard mm-hmm. because um, you want to build camaraderie. You want to build a community amongst, you know, whatever is going on here. And I think people are just tired and they want to, you know, live their lives the way that will let them become healthy individuals. So that's what I've mm-hmm. seen in Ontario and through talking to students and, uh, and for them waiting for two years to get into <laughs> the freediving community, they're willing to yeah. wait until they can get into a course. Wow. So earlier you spoke a little bit about your social media presence between YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and everything else that you guys do. So it must be a lot of fun to be a content creator in that sense. But what have been some of the biggest challenges you guys have faced? I think the biggest challenge when it comes to creating content is not having enough time. (laughs) And um, (laughs) yeah, we have so many ideas. We have like lists and lists and it's just like, there's not enough time or ice or um, (laughs) 
just in, in general and, and trying to balance parenting as well. So you're like, you're trying to balance everything. And, um, hopefully, uh, as Sarah grows up, like as she gets older and is more independent, that also changes too. Mm -hmm. So, and then the other thing is, um, the other challenge is just trying to, to time it in a, an appropriate manner because you're like, okay, well maybe, maybe somebody would like to see some things about cave diving, um, and going through crevices and tunnels. And then you kind of go on to a tangent there and then you're like, Oh, but what if somebody wants to see more stuff about like, how do you drink and eat underwater? It's you're just like, Oh, okay. Well, and there, it's like a rabbit hole. So the challenge is not trying to, to keep diversified and not just like, okay, I'm just going to go into a rabbit hole of ideas. Keep <laughs> it fresh. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Do you really enjoy that content creator side of free diving or is it, uh, does it take away from your time as, uh, <laughs> as, as the, you know, being that fun, uh, you know, carefree free diver? Um, I actually, uh, Andrew and I, we kind of like doing the content creation because it's like, uh, we do it for fun. Like we go and we're mm. like, okay, well let's try to scout this place and think of how this idea. And it, it, it puts another layer to our diving because, yeah. um, even if we weren't creating things, we, we, we would be going out and scouting anyway. <laughs> and, um, and we bring Sarah along too on canoe rides and she yeah. sleeps on the canoe oh, rides, nice. which is great. We're really thankful. Amazing. Um, and the content creation doesn't take away. I feel it adds and it makes it like, mm. it gives it, um, another spin to things. Yeah. But, um, we enjoy it a lot. <laughs> That's good to hear. Cause, uh, I think, I think that, shows in your uh, in your videos so yeah that uh, that's that's awesome when you were on the show back in the summer for the women's dive day episode uh, you and jill Heinerth had both been working on the same project are you allowed to tell us uh, what that project was now oh yes um it was a documentary it's still going to be like released so i'm not supposed to talk too too much about it still okay because you yeah. have to like sign off on stuff and we just did some final editing uh i believe oh, cool. a few weeks ago too in different languages or no or different i think it was like one for like imperial one for uh metrics so uh but stay okay. tuned it's um right. it's something cool about freediving and great lakes and ice so <laughs> nice should we keep an eye on a certain network or something for it um, as of now, it would be on TV Ontario. Um, I'm not sure okay. if there'll be airing on other networks because they're trying to, they're writing things and so forth with other and making oh, okay. deals. So that's out of my loop. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll make sure we, we'll make sure we share it with the, uh, with the listeners when, uh, when it's available. I was just going to say, we'll have to have her, have her back on the show when, uh, when she can talk about it even more. Just an excuse to have you back on, Lily. <laughs> yeah. Aw, thanks. I love being on here. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find you guys online? Uh, yeah, if you guys want to find us online um, for uh, Instagram and TikTok and uh, YouTube, it's all Androoper, A-N-D-R-O-O-P-R. So it's like Andrew, mm -hmm. PR. PR is Peter Risable, but... Um, and oh, okay. Ontario Freedivers is our website. So you can just search Ontario Freedivers and Lily and Andrew will come up. And my personal Instagram is Lil Freediver. I just post a lot of 
um, family stuff and free diving stuff, hikes, a lot of canoe rides with Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what, what keeps you diving, Lily? What keeps me diving is finding out what is underneath the water because <laughs> it's always something new, something challenging, something it's mysterious. And, I, and in, in life, you, you kind of want to always know what's the unknown. And if you're like, mm. if you're an explorer or you have a heart of an explorer, you'll always want to know what's the unknown and you keep pursuing it. And that's what keeps me coming back to the water. That's, that's an awesome answer. That's great. I uh, really appreciate that. And I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing, uh, sharing your story with us. It's been a lot of fun. Time's flown by. It's already been uh, over an hour now. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, we've still got so much more to chat about. So yeah, I look forward to chatting with you again in the future. And like I said, just thanks. Thanks for coming on and thanks for sharing. Thank you everyone for having me. All right. That was an awesome interview with Lily. It was really fun having her on. And uh, yeah, that was, that was great. Glad we got her on and I'm glad we chatted with her. Um, but you know who I'm also happy to talk with pretty much every week is April. And uh, what do you got for us this week on the pro tip? I thought you were going to toss to yourself with your bucket list uh, <laughs> travel spot. No, I'm kidding. I just <laughs> like to to the myself. Yeah, uh, my yeah. favorite person yeah. to talk to, me. me. Uh, <laughs> I got a question for you guys. What is it? What type of dry suit do you guys use? Well, I don't have a dry Why? suit right now, April. I'm waiting for you to return it to me. <laughs> you open that can of worms. When are we uh, going to have that back, by the way? Like, is that coming back soon or what? Oh, man. <laughs> Talk about walking I mean, this into is it. after hours. This hey, is hey, enjoyment look, time. <laughs> you open the door. I'm I walk off through the it. clock. <laughs> I walk I'm dive buddy April are. right now, not dive shop <laughs> manager April. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I, I have a tri lamb dry suit. I have a tri lamb dry suit. When it's, same whenever here, same it's here. here. Mm. I have a combo fusion suit. So I have the. the yeah, nice. it's the old plastic bag with a uh, with a plastic skin bag over with it. A thin neoprene skin over the top. Mm. Very cool. Well, I had a fusion and I had a trilaminate suit, so mm-hmm. I've dove both. And this may be my most uh, controversial pro tip of all time. And I've uh, mentally prepared myself for the heat <laughs> I'm going to take for this one from the uh, <laughs> from you guys and all our listeners, but. <laughs> My uh, my pro tip this week is about uh, staying warm here in the cold water. So I recently made the switch to a four millimeter crush neoprene dry suit. Uh, and honestly, I don't know if I could go back to diving in a Charlam suit. Uh, so I mean, I dive in cold water a lot. I'm a strong believer and just because a piece of gear works for someone doesn't mean it's going to work for everyone. Uh, so despite what some of my tech diver friends say when I was in the market for my first dry suit, everybody told me to steer clear of neoprene. So I never even tried one and I just assumed that I would hate it. Flash forward to February of last year when my fusion was leaking on me and I took one of our neoprene rental dry suits for a course I was teaching. Uh, it was February, two degrees in the water and probably minus 10 on the surface. And I think I could have stayed in that water all day in that neoprene suit. 
Uh, I paired my fourth element halos with it. It was in old Aqualung Blizzard and I loved it. So I just got myself a new Aqualung Blizzard Pro dry suit. Uh, and it has the Yamamoto 4 mil Crush Neoprene. Uh, and I've been diving it for nearly two months now. And honestly, I have never loved a dry suit more. Uh, this time of year, I'm wearing it with just a pair of leggings or track pants and a sweatshirt. And I'm toasty warm for a good 90 minutes. And most of my friends are in Trilam suits and they're already in their halos, uh, which usually I would be in my halo because I dove my halo all year round with my Trilam suit. Uh, and the water is still going to drop another 15 or more degrees. So I still have a ton of thermal protection that I can add because right now I'm basically just in my street clothes underneath my dry suit. So with the, you know, 15 degrees or more dropping, I have a ton of options for layering. It fits a lot more fitted than my trilaminate suit did or my bag suit. So the air management is much easier and uh, it has nowhere for air to get trapped which is kind of nice. Uh, it's a back zip, which was the one thing I was hesitant about. Um, mm. And other than after the dive, when I really have to pee, I honestly haven't had an <laughs> issue with it. So, uh, you know, usually I'm diving. Well, I'm always pretty much diving with a group of people. So finding somebody to unzip me hasn't been an issue. But what I have mm. found with the back zip, and maybe this is like a um, like more narrowed woman like more narrowed shouldered woman thing mm-hmm. is that uh, the zipper in the front I've always found restricts my reach. So especially with the fusion where it zips like shoulder around front and mm-hmm. has the ring to hold in your neck seal, I couldn't reach my dump valve across my chest. So with the zipper in the back, I find I have way more mobility in the front if you're a cold water diver and maybe struggle with a uh, with some natural insulation or maybe you just run cold, <laughs> uh, a neoprene suit is definitely an option. And I would definitely say the uh, crushed neoprene because then you won't have the buoyancy issues, the compressing issues, but you will still get all of those fantastic warmth characteristics. So I'm here. I'm bringing back neoprene dry suits. That's where I'm at. So, so this is my pro tip for our cold water divers. <laughs> I mean, Yamamoto is like the best neoprene you can get, like uh, the top end mm-hmm. free diving suits. Um, it's, a, it's a really comfortable neoprene. I've never seen it crushed um, in a dry suit. But I was wondering, like, why are people telling you don't go neoprene? Like, why the criticism? I've heard, so I've heard like it all. Some people have told me the compressing thing, which is fair if it's like not already compressed, but people are like, oh, no, I crushed. Crush neoprene will still compress. And I'm like, it doesn't because I've dove my suit really deep and it doesn't compress because it's already crushed. Um, people say the buoyancy thing, but uh, I mean, we'll see what happens in the winter. I mean, right now I'm actually diving with way less weight than I usually would because I took away my halos, which are super buoyant. And instead mm-hmm. I'm just in, you know, leggings and a sweatshirt. So I basically dropped like eight pounds of lead when I switched to diving in that suit. Um, so I mean, in the winter, maybe when I add those halos and extra undergarments, I'll, you know, have to take a little bit extra lead. But in my opinion, it's a small price to pay for being nice and warm. So from what I'm hearing, you were, you didn't have a compelling reason for not using a neoprene dry suit. Really? It was just, everybody told me like, it's way too buoyant and you'll hate how buoyant it is. 
that was like the main thing that people told me. Yeah, and I guess I've I've not uh, dove one, so I'm not 100 percent sure uh, how they would how they would work. I guess to me, the only thing that comes to mind is what you, what you've said. It it actually doesn't make any difference for you, but like from the dexterity standpoint, can you reach and access everything? So yeah, very pretty cool to hear. And yeah, I mean, if oh, you yeah. have a you got a, another Yamamoto neoprene suit for me to try on at the shop here because <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll have to switch over, pick one of those up. There you go. Man, we've just made everything. There you go. Well, I'll let you check mine out. You can try it on if you like. Walks away for everybody, everybody at home, not viewing the camera. Mitt just randomly walked away from his microphone and, uh, but, and but screamed. he stayed on the podcast. So that's great. He's that's got right. wireless yeah. headphones. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I had to look at it. It was, it was uh, a matter of life and death for the dog. So <laughs> he's been very that's fair. I've had, um, I haven't had any mobility issues in it either because I have heard that as well where the neoprene's a bit thicker. You might uh, find it a bit more restricting, but if anything, I've found uh, just the fit of it and maybe it's just the best dry suit I've like, or I guess the best fitting dry suit I've ever owned, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I just find it's so comfortable and I have so much mobility and so far I... Love it. I don't have enough good things mm-hmm. to say about it. And it seems really durable as well, which we all know for me is a good, uh, good characteristic. <laughs> yeah, right. I've heard lots of good good uh, reviews of two mil crushed neoprene suits in the past uh, for both like, you know, flexibility and ease of use and stuff. Um, but like our tra- Torpedo Rays, our main lines were did, got rid of their four mil neoprene. Mm-hmm. Bear used to have a CD4. Um, but that you have the aqua long one now. So yeah, there was, uh, there for a long time, there just wasn't, uh, that four mil crushed option in, in like our lines. I think so. I think the four mil is awesome because yeah, it's not the big, like six mil D six kind of style. That's mm-hmm. super yeah. buoyant and it's not crushed and it's not like the two mil crushed. It's, I don't know. It feels like a good, happy, happy, warm medium. Cool. Yeah. Well, Keep diving in over the winter. Let us know how it goes. See if you're still yeah. I'll give you an update uh, maybe in the spring, two to four months. Yeah, (laughs) see if it's leaking. (laughs) As as for right now, I'm dry. (laughs) Yeah, and I feel there's an important lesson out there for divers listening here: is if somebody tells you don't do this because of that, uh, maybe ask a few other people to see what they really think. And Mm -hmm. if you do think that you think differently, try something out. Because April was told don't do it, and she did it, and she was happy. Yeah, I went yeah. like five years without having this just because I trusted all these people telling me neoprene suits were a waste. And then I got in a neoprene suit and I loved it. So yeah, don't knock it till you try April. it, I guess. Yeah, thanks, Uh-oh. Justin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we're all we all have our shortcomings in life. Mine was yeah. telling April not to buy a neoprene dry suit, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah. here we are. I don't know if that was actually me or not, but I'll take the call for that. You were um, you were one of them. There was like was a lot of people, them. so like, <laughs> it's fine. We've okay. moved on. All right. All right. Well, we should also move on uh, to my segment on the bucket list this month. Um, and I include this on my bucket list because I used to, I think the biggest thing about this site, Sea of Cortez, is I used to live like in the scale of the earth, so close <laughs> to the Sea of Cortez. <laughs> 
and I used to go diving in Southern California, which is literally just a stone's throw away from the Sea of Cortez so often. And it just nobody, nobody I knew was diving in the Sea of Cortez at that point of time, you know, 10 to 15 years ago. And, uh, and now it is like the spot to go to everybody who's anybody who we've had on the podcast has talked about diving in the Sea of Cortez and seeing, I don't know, basically Galapagos level stuff, uh, swimming around in this uh, nice little spot in Mexico. So where I want to add on my list of bucket list locations is the Sea of Cortez. There's a couple of uh, main places that people access the Sea of Cortez is La Paz or Cabo Pulmo. And uh, there's both uh, liveaboards available and dive shops for shore diving. Um, there's there's a season uh, for liveaboards is generally the kind of uh, late in the year season, July to October. I guess that's middle of the year. I don't know. It's, uh, years are hard. Months are hard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but shore diving is generally available year round, depending on where you are. And they say there's a seal colony um, in um, of like something like 600 or so, some huge number of uh, these brown um, brown seals that uh, that that live in the Sea of Cortez and they're there in August and September uh, with all the with all the kids. So that's kind of that'd be kind of cool to see. So it looks like uh, kind of end of summer, beginning of fall is the time to go and uh, humpback whales um, in over the winter too. So if you go down for your for your winter break. That would be sweet to go dive and see some humpback whales. Uh, man, would that be cool? So anyway, um, Sia Cortez, who's been there? I know nobody on this podcast has been there. So I'm going to reach out to you, our listeners. And I want to know who's been there. I want to know what you've seen. I want to know who you went with. I want to know what airport you flew into. I want to know it all. Tell me. Hit me up on the socials, diveinpod.com. Uh, or email dive in dot the podcast at gmail.com. Let us know uh, what what your take is on the Sea of Cortez. Do you guys have a take on the Sea of Cortez? Are you as blown away by it as I am? Only that I want to go there. <laughs> I went to La Paz and mm-hmm. was like almost diving. And then I got there and the waves and the wind were too high and I didn't get to go. But oh, yeah. I was close. But no see a Cortez, but I would like to go and it's, you know, we'll add it to the dive in the podcast, uh, world tour and, uh, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll all <laughs> go together. <laughs> now, how many great white sharks are at the Sea of Cortez with all of the <laughs> rookeries for seals? That's what I want. I don't, I don't know, but they do get schooling hammerheads and, uh, and those giant schools of those, uh, uh, I'm going to mispronounce this mob, mobulus, mobulus, mobular rays. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, those, uh, yeah, those, you see those pictures, uh, like on your desktop backgrounds that come with your computer. Mm-hmm. And it's just all these rays in the water, like hundreds wide and like 10, 15 layers deep. That's, that's Sea Fortes. So, mm-hmm. be super cool. Well, super cool. Sounds like a good time to me. It does. You know what else sounds like a good time? What? Wrapping up another episode. <laughs> Go. Going to bed. <laughs> actually, actually, as soon as I'm done with this, I got to go upstairs and uh, start uh, finish editing uh, another episode of the podcast. So, uh, so the grind never we can stops. review it tomorrow. Yeah, Oof. the grind never stops. Well, I want to thank again Lily Risable for joining us on a wonderful episode of the podcast. 
I'd like to also thank Nick for setting up the interview and getting that going. It's always fun, always a pleasure, always nice to be here on the show. Absolutely. April, thank you for everything you do on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Always uh, happy to come on here and pod and uh, talk about my love of neoprene dry suits. Got to cast some pods and talk about neoprene. That's what we're here for. And Amit, thank you. <laughs> you are most welcome. I enjoyed myself <laughs> as usual. And uh, yeah, it was a great time. <laughs> I was going to ask you what you're here for. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure why I'm here today other than to talk <laughs> to people and show up, as we said before. So. So, yeah, talk to people. Show up and talk to people. Yeah, that's it. I don't know. Uh, it was funnier in my head than it was in real life. <laughs> anyway, don't forget you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash dive in pod and get some rewards for doing so. Visit our website, diveinpod.com for all the links you need, episodes, merch, and so much more. On social media, you can follow me at iDiveOkit. Okay. I'm at April Weikert. I'm at Nicholas Winkler Photography. Next week, we speak to Zandi and Lovu. Zandi is a paddy freediving instructor, the first black African freediving instructor in South Africa, and founder of the Black Mermaid Foundation. This episode of Dive in the Podcast was brought to you by our sponsor, Torpedo Ray Scuba. Thank you for listening. <laughs>